Johnson County is seeing a sudden spike in COVID-19 cases. On this episode, hear from our medical and public health officials about the rise in cases, the impact on hospitals and schools, and learn how you can help slow the spread. Whether you live in or just love Johnson County, Kansas, JOCO On The Go has everything Johnson County. Here's what's happening and what's coming up in the community you call home. Thanks for joining us for JOCO On The Go. I'm your host, Teresa Freed, a Johnson County resident and employee of Johnson County government. Community risk of COVID-19 transmission is high with a percent positivity right around 30%. This week, we have updates from Johnson County public health and medical experts who are offering the latest on spread in the community and ways we can lessen the strain on our healthcare systems and schools facing some serious impacts. We begin with Johnson County EMS medical director, Dr. Ryan Jacobson. Yeah, our emergency departments in EMS system right now are incredibly busy. Um, we have uh, staffing shortages. We have increased volume of 911 calls for the ambulance. We also have um, uh, testing is challenging. And so we really don't want people to go to the emergency department or use 911 unless they're having an emergency or a really urgent condition that prevents them from getting there some other means. So we don't want to discourage it, but we also want people to be judicious with it. Um, we have extensive waiting times in all the area emergency departments. We have uh, staffing shortages with both EMS and in-hospital. And so trying not to burden the healthcare system with asymptomatic or very mild illness is just another thing that the public can do to help us out. We are seeing a number of people in the emergency departments who say they have been exposed to COVID and they're coming to the ED because they don't have access to a test and they wanna know if they've got it. And so it's basically kind of a fear-based visit to the ED. They have no symptoms, they're otherwise healthy, and they're coming to the emergency department to get a test because they're concerned. So I think we do need to address the fear factor. And I think it's reasonable to say that most people aren't going to die from COVID. Most people aren't gonna be hospitalized. And so having an exposure to COVID heightens your awareness to look for symptoms and to keep yourself safe. But at the same time, you don't need to go to the emergency department if you're asymptomatic and just looking for testing out of concern. So I would seek testing elsewhere at the other sites throughout the county and in the region that offer testing. And again, the asymptomatic nature of it, we just really don't wanna burden the emergency departments with folks who are looking for testing and are just concerned that they might have it. We really wanna conserve our resources for the heart attacks, the strokes, the traumas, so we can keep those resources intact for the sick folks. We really encourage people to call 911 and to use the 911 system judiciously. I mean, we never wanna discourage someone from calling 911. Asymptomatic folks who are who know they're positive and don't have symptoms don't need to seek care in an emergency department or call 911. Um, mild symptoms can be treated at home frequently so oftentimes ibuprofen, Tylenol, uh, salt water gargles, uh, throat lozenges, over-the-counter medicines that just help treat the symptoms are very reasonable for much of the population if they have COVID. Now, common symptoms of COVID are similar to other upper respiratory tract infections. Um, one of the most common things is fever, headache, body aches, chills, sore throat, scratchy throat, cough. Um, some people get nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea. It depends. So there are some GI symptoms in some folks. People frequently lose their taste and also their sense of smell. Um, but depending on the variant, sometimes they have different symptoms. But most of them, fever, body aches, cough, sore throat, those are pretty ubiquitous and everybody kind of seems to have those symptoms. If you have risk factors, and by risk factors I mean morbid obesity, uh, high blood pressure, heart disease, lung disease, 
organ transplants, on chemotherapy, cancer patients, kidney disease, people on dialysis, those are the highest risk groups for severe illness and death in COVID. And those folks need to be a little bit more cautious when we're talking about seeking out medical care. But for a large majority of the patients who are in, not at extremes of age, who don't have underlying risk factors like we talked about, you can manage these symptoms very well at home by staying hydrated, doing your things like ibuprofen, Tylenol, and over-the-counter remedies to just make yourself feel better while you get better. And so I think it's reasonable to give that a, a college effort, if you will, to try to avoid overburdening the emergency departments with unnecessary visits for mild disease. If you have access to primary care, uh, calling your primary care physician is one of the first steps. Um, second, there are many urgent care and other alternative care sites around the county and in the community that aren't the emergency department. So those are some quick things that you can do. Other, uh, if you have access to the internet, um, Googling, WebMD, Medline, all these kind of resources that can help you um, navigate mild symptoms and, and signs and symptoms of when to call 911 or when to go to the emergency department. So I would seek out those uh, resources before just running to the emergency department because you have a positive test, for instance. Next, in a recent Facebook Live event with Johnson County Mayors, Johnson County Department of Health and Environment Director Dr. Sami Ariola, Deputy Director Charlie Hunt, and Epidemiology Director Elizabeth Holshue offered additional information about what we're seeing with COVID-19 spread. It does not uh, take um, being an expert in public health to know that things are pretty bad. And uh, if you listen to the chief medical officers in the recent weeks, they have been very consistent. Uh, and I ask that you watch their language. Uh, the first uh, few, few months of this pandemic, they were very careful about what they say. But you can see coming from them, we're in trouble. We're in a bad place. And, that, and, that, and that's the picture. It's not about a fear mongering. It's about painting the appropriate picture for you. Um, we have um, uh, the past few weeks now, our infections have been driven by Omicron. Uh, we were dealing with Delta mostly. And uh, because uh, hospital metrics uh, tend to lag um, uh, infections by three to four weeks, in the next few weeks, we're going to begin to see some of the consequences of the high number of immicron infections that we have. And nationally, if you track uh, pediatric data through the American Academy of Pediatrics, you will see increase in hospitalizations in children. That's increasing. Uh, 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 profoundly ac across the country. If you uh, look at local data from Children Mercy Hospital, they are seeing the same thing. They are crying out, not just because of the workload, but because of staffing shortages also because of Omicron. So that's why, uh, again, we have consistently worked with our uh, 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 decision makers. And that's why I'm very appreciative of these opportunities. I would uh, point out that I'm particularly very uh, happy to see a few of our cities take the lead in the absence of a countywide uh, mandate to take the lead. Every little bit of those steps help. I'm uh, very happy that our uh, Board of County Commissioners uh, continued with the public health order that will allow us to keep our schools safe. As I've said publicly several times, I just don't see how you can keep our schools open without masks. And we are seeing the consequences now. So, um, our job is to see, can we take enough consequential steps now to ensure that this doesn't spread? You know, when people point to things are flattening in New York, you need to be very careful. New York did, did take mitigation steps to reduce the spread, and they're still doing that. 
and flattening at a very high peak is not where we want to be. So I uh, just wanted to make sure that we, we understand that. We have updated our mask uh, guidance. We are uh, uh, re- recommending more efficient masking, KN95. We're working with our emergency management to uh, ad- address equity issues to ensure that these masks are uh, more readily available in the county. And I know that there's a similar action at the federal level to do that. Uh, we are making uh, testing more available. And, and that's, that's an example of uh, uh, when people talk about, uh, do we have enough testing? Uh, just uh, if you go to our website, if you hover on those graphs on, on the testing numbers, you will see the number of tests from PCR uh, test alone. For the past seven days at that time, it was over 36,000. So when you add antigen tests or you, and you add rapid tests, uh, we have a lot of testing in the community. But when you have this level of infection, just like uh, um, hospital capacity is, is being overwhelmed, our testing capacity is being overwhelmed, and several other capacities are, are, are being overwhelmed. Our job at all times is to create conditions where our residents, every single one of them, have optimal opportunity to be at the best health that they can be. And that job is even more important now, given what we're facing. But I'll let Elizabeth uh, share the screen and take you through some of those numbers. Good morning, and thank you for the opportunity to come and speak to you today. So I'm hopeful that all of you are familiar with our dashboard, but if you're not, um, you can go to jocogov.org and click the COVID-19 button, and then there's a button for our COVID-19 cases and vaccine dashboard. And here's a wealth of information. And on this front page, what we really focused on are the key community metrics as laid out by KDHE or CDC, as well as ones that we've been tracking throughout this pandemic. As Dr. Ariola said, you know, when we were looking in October and certainly you can see how low our numbers were. Um, And in this top graph, we're looking at our instance rate and we do this per 100,000 population. And really the reason we do that is to be able to compare our numbers with other jurisdictions that may be of different sizes. So obviously if we're looking at how Wyandotte County is doing compared to us, we can't just compare raw numbers because their population is significantly smaller than ours. And you can see that um, even though we have continually had to expand how high our access goes um, for the number of cases that we're getting in, it just keeps getting higher and higher. Um, as Dr. Ariola said, you know, at the middle of October when we had started coming down off of our, our COVID Delta wave early fall, we were sitting at about 158 per 100,000, and now we're at 1,939 per 100,000 population in Johnson County, and it just continues to increase. Very similarly, if you look at our percent positivity, and these are going to be the number of individuals who have tested positive by PCR over the last seven days compared to everybody who's been tested in our community, um, Johnson County residents. And again, numbers that quite frankly, we just never anticipated seeing. I remember when we were up around 15% last winter, and that was really stark for us. And to see us now up all the way at nearly 31%, it's really a dramatic increase. Wyandotte County is reporting nearly 65% positivity. Um, And really what that means is there's a lot of individuals getting tested and a lot of them testing positive. And usually when we look at really high percent positives, we tend to think that there's not enough testing capacity. But as Dr. Ariola said, we had nearly 35 or 40,000 of Johnson County residents get tested last week alone. Um, So certainly there's a lot of testing available and a big piece of that is our school districts who are continuing to test their students and their staff and their families 
And that's been a really big help. And I know that I believe Charlie, Charlie Hunt will be talking about some of the additional testing capacity. The other piece of data that we really look at obviously are vaccination. And so you can see that vaccination progress up here where we have 64.6% um, of eligible population fully vaccinated. And again, those of our children in our community under the age of five are not yet eligible. I'm gonna go through a lot of the additional data, but I do encourage you to explore it. The vaccination progress tab has a number of different data points, including vaccination coverage by zip code, as well as different age groups. So we can look at how we're doing it particularly in that five to 11 age category, the most recent to be eligible for vaccines. Additionally, our case summary tab has some overall numbers. And you can see here that the average number of cases per day is nearly 1,700 cases that Johnson County is receiving, 1,700 individuals who are testing positive each day and getting reported to Johnson County. That is just a really high number. I will say that in July, when we had sort of taken a breath, we're at about 20 per day. And so quite frankly, the number of cases we're getting in is just exceeding all capacity at all levels from local levels to KDHE. It also talks about deaths on this page and Dr. Ariola mentioned our more capacity. I will say that since the beginning of the year, we've lost nearly 30 Johnson County residents to COVID-19. The majority, vast majority of those being unvaccinated individuals. Um, when we see vaccinated individuals, unfortunately passing away from this disease, most often they are either not boosted, which we know provides an extra layer of protection against Omicron, and they generally also have a number of pre-existing conditions. Um, and so unfortunately, even though we have really good vaccination or vaccines to prevent severe illness, um, we still are losing some of our most vulnerable population due to this disease because there's just so much spread in our community. This page also has information about breakthrough cases as well as our variants. Um, from whole genome sequencing. And that's how we know that we are seeing Omicron here, um, which is also supported by just the sheer volume of cases and, and the exponential growth we're seeing in our case counts. The other dashboard that I'd like to bring your attention to, um, one that maybe is not as well known, is the Mark COVID Hub. So I generally get to it by just Googling Mark COVID hospitalization data um, or Mark COVID data and coming here. And why this website is incredibly valuable is from the hospitalization perspective. Um, if you've been paying attention from the beginning of this pandemic, we've constantly been discussing that our data infrastructure between us and our hospitals is not what it should be um, from a public health standpoint. We still rely heavily on faxes and emails and we don't have automated data that comes directly from our hospitals to us to report patients who are hospitalized from Johnson County. So Mark has gotten access to a national data set where all of the hospitals must report or should be reporting daily. You can see here in this top right-hand corner that we don't have all of our hospitals reporting for this um, day, about 23 out of 27. So these data are incomplete at this moment, but you can still see this dramatic increase in new hospitalizations in recent days, far exceeding what we saw even in our winter surge last year, as well as in the surge earlier this fall. You can look at both the Mark region as well as each individual jurisdiction. So we can look specifically at Johnson County. I generally take a regional view when we think about hospitalizations because our patients don't just necessarily go to Johnson County hospitals. And very similarly, um, people from other counties or jurisdictions end up in our hospitals. So I think it's important to take a view on both of those. So you can see in Johnson County, again, our numbers have really skyrocketed in our hospital systems. 
You can also look at all hospital beds, and this is another really useful graph, um, particularly this one on the bottom where that green um, bar is really the availability of hospital beds. And you can see how many are taken up by other patients in the blue shaded area. And then in the red shade is the COVID hospitalizations. And again, you can look at Johnson County. And then finally, looking at adult ICU hospital beds, you can see that for Johnson County, we are at a very high level. And this is not, again, all of our hospitals reporting. We have one hospital that did not report. And we're sitting at about 11% availability in ICU beds. Generally, when you get below 10, that's really when crisis, um, the hospitals tend to be in crisis mode when you have less than 10% of your ICU beds available. And very similarly, our numbers have gone up and down in the metro area. And again, not all hospitals reporting, but we're still hovering right around that 10%. So these are things that we're really keeping an eye on um, because this is really what the consequence is going to be when hospitals are overwhelmed. It's not just about taking care of COVID patients. It's about taking care of those patients who get in car accidents or have a heart attack or have a stroke. It's about being able to get people into beds that need it as well as have enough staff um, to take care of them. And we know that staffing, as you've heard, both from hospital leaders as well as Dr. Ariola this morning, is really in a dire state in our hospital systems. So unfortunately, as Dr. Ariola said, we expect these numbers to continue to increase um, as those numbers for hospitalizations do tend to lag what we see in our case counts, and our case counts just continue to go up. Um, so with that, I'll hand it over to Mr. Hunt. Thank you. Um, I guess the other thing, and I actually will make one very brief comment about the, the, uh, the hospitalization information that, that Elizabeth was just talking about, of course, that the, the bed availability is one issue to, to worry about, but also staffing at the hospitals uh, being at, at critical levels. And it makes it difficult if there aren't the, the, the staff to, and the care uh, providers to, to work with those patients, then the, um, the available beds may not, may not be able to be utilized. Um, I do want to focus a little bit on, on schools here. Um, and uh, first, just to acknowledge uh, our partners in the, in the schools throughout the community. Uh, schools and, and children have been a very strong focus of ours, particularly uh, during this school year. And uh, the, uh, the, the work that they have done in the school districts has, has, been, has been incredible. This is very challenging work for them. Uh, everyone from the, you know, this administration to the district health coordinators and the school nurses and all the other staff that, that, uh, that work with us day in and day out on identifying uh, children and staff who are infected, uh, identifying who those close contacts are, making sure that people are, are appropriately excluded and given the right information, um, follow-up testing and, and so forth. So I'll talk about that in, uh, in just a little bit. Um, as Dr. Ariola and Elizabeth both alluded to, the, the change in the epidemiology of, of COVID-19 over the, the months, we're now seeing a higher percentage of cases among, among children than we, than we did earlier in the pandemic. And uh, this is having a substantial impact on the schools and that combined with, with this most recent way with Omicron has, has really made things difficult. When we started the school year, uh, of course, we have the, the existing county mask requirement in place for K through six. And most of the school districts and many of the private schools also uh, required masks for the uh, upper grade levels. Um, as, as things had improved a little bit over the, over the, the fall uh, weeks and months, uh, uh, the district started to remove those requirements uh, at the secondary level. Uh, however, they, they put in triggers uh, or thresholds so that when absenteeism got to a certain level, uh, that would uh, trigger the mask requirement going back into place for the for those secondary schools. And as we've seen over the last uh, 
couple of weeks now, uh, that is indeed what has happened, uh, where we're seeing uh, nearly across the board, uh, those districts that had uh, triggers in place actually going back to mass. So things are very challenging uh, for them. Um, I, I will say that in recognizing uh, how things are difficult for the schools and, and how challenging it is to do that contact tracing, our emphasis in working with the schools is to ensure that uh, those who are infected or suspected of being infected are, are appropriately excluding. Many of the districts had put into place uh, test to stay strategies so that uh, children uh, and students and, and staff members who had been exposed to a case could remain uh, at work and in school uh, so long as they test uh, every day or every other day. And unfortunately with the, with the caseloads and the volume, it's been difficult for most of them to keep that program going. Uh, and so they're not able to test those close contacts. I can tell you that uh, having uh, personal experience with this with a, with a family member who, uh, whose child was exposed and was not able to participate in the test to stay program because they simply don't have the capacity right now. Um, and so we recognize that as, as a challenge uh, for them. And, uh, and again, we're doing all we can to support them and to streamline our, our processes here to, to make sure that we're uh, exchanging information and supporting them the best that we can. Um, with respect to testing, uh, testing capacity has been uh, an issue with, as we talked earlier, uh, 35,000 Johnson County residents were tested in last week. Uh, but we recognize that we that we need to work to increase testing capacity to existing mass testing sites in the community uh, at Johnson County Community College and at Church of the Resurrection uh, are expanding their hours. Uh, and we'll, and I believe they're also moving to an appointment uh, system uh, for those two sites. We have been working uh, with uh, Kansas Department of Health and Environment uh, and our uh, Johnson County Parks and Recreation District to expand uh, and add a mass testing site and, and that's going to be at Shawnee Mission Park um, and so that'll provide additional testing capacity and that will also be by appointment. We also are working on uh, identifying some indoor uh, spaces to do some testing which will further increase our, our capacity in the community uh, and, and potentially offer the capability to do uh, antigen testing, uh, which has been, uh, again, challenging for people to, to find uh, appointments for. There are uh, at least 30 uh, sites in the community that are offering testing uh, right now. Um, and so uh, th there are options for people, but, but sometimes there can be a little bit of a delay. And so we're, we're doing the best we can to expand that testing. Finally, here's Johnson County Local Health Officer, Dr. Joseph Lamaster, with details on how you can help slow the spread. Well, hi, I'm Dr. Joe Lamaster, Local Health Officer for Johnson County. We again today wanted to come back to you just to reemphasize some of the basic things that we've been saying all along that are even more important now, given the fact that we have the Omicron variant. As we've said before, the most important thing that you can do to protect yourself and your family and your colleagues, your loved ones from Omicron is get vaccinated, get boosted. That is the thing that's making the difference in the things we're seeing in the hospital. Those people who are fully vaccinated and boosted, even if they do get Omicron, even if they do get sick enough to be in the hospital, they tend to be much less sick than those people who are unvaccinated. And the, by far, the majority of people who are hospitalized are unvaccinated. We want to talk a little bit about wearing masks. We still strongly recommend the use of masks in all public places. Um, I wanted to show you today we're going to be 
re-emphasizing the use of masks, but we would like to propose now that people double mask if they only have simple surgical masks or cloth masks. So I'm going to show you how to do this. This is a simple surgical mask. So you just, this is the way we've said to wear them before, and then I've got a cloth mask, and I'm just putting that up over the top and fitting it on. So I've got a double layer. These are double layer uh, masks in the, uh, the, the surgical mask is a double or triple layer, and these are double layer cloth masks. So that will give you even more protection from shedding the virus or spreading the virus if you happen to be uninfected and you don't know it. Now, with respect to the masks, the most important thing is that you have a good seal around your face. So you want to have it up over your nose, coming around your, the sides of your face and under, under your chin with not big gaps all around. If you've got a big gap at the side, your breath can go out that way and other things can come in. Remember that asymptomatic infection is even more prominent out in the community now. And the reason partly is that is because Omicron sometimes only produces very mild uh, cold-like symptoms, if any at all. Uh, and also there is such a hard time right now for people to be able to get the over-the-counter tests that many people aren't coming forward for testing. Remember that we still do have testing clinics at Johnson County. Most of your primary care physicians uh, and doctor's offices and pharmacies still will provide you with COVID testing uh, if you need to get that done. If you're sick, please stay home. Don't go out and about when you're sick. We strongly would recommend not to gather for luncheon meetings or any kind of meetings with a group of people where you're gonna be unmasked even briefly uh, we think that Omicron is about twice as uh, easily transmitted as Delta was, so something in the neighborhood of 10 times more transmissible than what we uh, saw with the original virus, and we're seeing that with the numbers, the way that they've gone up. Another thing we want to sort of make sure you are aware of and, and re-emphasize is the importance of hand washing. Remember, wash your hands frequently, don't touch your face especially if you're going to eat. We still want to continue to emphasize the importance of hand washing, monitoring your health, watch for symptoms like fever, runny nose, cough, shortness of breath, body aches, flu-like symptoms. With respect to going to your clinic visits, if you have a wellness visit and your doctors are seeing you for that, if they're still scheduling wellness visits, please do those visits. Make sure that you stay in touch with your primary care physician and that you get appropriate care for those things that need ongoing care, like your blood pressure and your diabetes. Um, make sure you do all those things that you need to do to keep yourself healthy. Good diet, exercise, and a good night's sleep. This is a marathon that we're on and it's important for us to be able to continue going forward in a healthy way. Most of your primary care office, uh, offices will have COVID testing and maybe even vaccination or boosting available in the office. For the very latest on COVID-19 in Johnson County, visit us at jocogov.org forward slash coronavirus. Thanks for listening. You just heard Joko on the go. Join us next time for more Everything Johnson County. Have a topic you want to discuss? We want to hear from you. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at JocoGov. For more on this podcast, visit jocogov.org forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening.